We're starting a series today called Through the Noise. It's going to be a, a journey through the book of First Peter. And uh, stories like that are exactly what Peter was writing about in his letter to the people that he was writing to. And the one we're going to look at over the next few weeks. So let's read the first two verses of 1 Peter chapter 1. It says this. This letter is from Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. I am writing to God's chosen people who are living as foreigners in the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. God the Father knew you and chose you long ago, and his spirit has made you holy. As a result, you have obeyed him and have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. May God give you more and more grace and peace. One of the first things you notice as you read through those verses is that Peter claims to be the author of this letter. This a normal beginning for most letters written in that time frame in the first century, the author identifies himself right off at the start. Unlike today, we let people read our letters, although we return addresses, we sign them at the end. The writer in the first century identified themselves right up front. Peter writes that he is an apostle of Jesus Christ. Now, for someone to, be, to claim apostleship in the New Testament, the requirement was that they had seen the risen Christ, that they had seen Jesus rise from the dead, that they'd seen him after that. In the New Testament, first century sense, there are no new apostles today. There are apostles today in the sense of Ephesians 4, 11, and 12. And this is what it says. Now, there are these, the gifts Christ gave to the church. The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and pastors, and teachers, their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and to build up the church, the body of Christ. Now, Peter, the author of this letter, was an apostle. He says he is. He walked with Jesus for three years. He saw the miracles that Jesus did. He walked on water with Jesus, which is one of the few people who can say that. He deserted Jesus. He denied he knew him. And he experienced the lows of the crucifixion. He ate with Jesus. He also experienced the redemption and grace of Jesus. Peter is one of the eyewitnesses of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. Peter also experienced what Jesus told him he would, suffering. The letter of 1 Peter was written approximately 61-62 A.D., about 30 years after Jesus' death. It was written before the emperor Nero had begun his full persecution of the Christians in Rome and the Roman Empire. There's so much more we could talk about and say about Peter, but that's probably enough for today. We can continue to talk about who he wrote it to and the people that were reading it and the message that he gave them, which I think is so applicable to us. So we continue to look at it again. This letter is from Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. I am writing to God's chosen people who are living as foreigners in the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Peter is writing this to people who are living in what would now be modern-day Turkey. All five of the provinces were located there. We know some about each of these places. Some are 
places that Paul wrote to as he started churches there. Paul started the church at Galatia and other places are places where Peter started the church or some of the other apostles started the church. But Peter is writing to them and he wants them to understand some very important things. And he writes this, and he starts out right here in the beginning. And I know this is a beginning, and we read it, and we, we think, well, that's just kind of introduction. That's kind of like skipping over the, the preface or, you know, whatever. We just, you know, just skip that stuff. We don't need to read the acknowledgments. And, but that's not true here, because Peter sends a really clear message early in this letter. One of the important things to understand is that Peter is writing to followers of Jesus who are living as foreigners in those lands. The NIV reads this way, to God's elect, strangers in the world scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. And let's start with this whole idea of God's chosen people, or as the NIV states, to God's elect. Peter is writing to a people who have been chosen by God. Now, I want you to think about that for just a moment, because I venture to guess there are moments in your life when you can remember not being chosen. I mean, you could go through the list, right? Recess. It starts in elementary school. Recess. Were you chosen? Nope. <laughs> they just, you were left. So they, you got to go. Maybe that wasn't you. Maybe it was someplace else. How about class president? Were you chosen for that? I wasn't. Most likely to do anything. Were you found on that page in the yearbook? Nope. <laughs> You know, many of us have gotten jobs, so eventually employment opportunities we, we were chosen for, or maybe we were the last remaining candidate, I don't know. But somewhere along the line, we've experienced some good moments, but we've had these places in our life we've not been chosen. That is not the case here. You have been chosen by God. God is writing, and Peter is writing God's message to the churches in those provinces. And he's saying, you've been chosen. You are God's elect. God chose the people of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. And I want you to know he is still choosing people today in Topeka, Lawrence, Kansas City, and around the world. God chose you. You are, as the NIV reads, God's elect, his chosen people. Now, the Jewish people referred to those who lived away from the promised land and as the di- diaspora. And, and Peter uses that term to describe everyone who was a follower of Jesus in these provinces. Peter is helping the people to understand how God feels about them, but also how they should live in the world in which they found themselves. Peter knows that things are going to get worse for the believers in the first century. And probably it's going to get worse for believers in the 21st century, even in America. We can see the trends. We can see the marginalization of of Christians in America. We can see the tolerance for just about anything else but Christianity in our culture. But that should not come as a surprise to us. Peter didn't want it to be a surprise to the Believers in the first century in those provinces either. Because eventually they do experience some significant persecution. We'll talk about that more in the weeks to come. But Peter is writing to people who didn't fit into the culture of the first century. And that they shouldn't try to fit into the culture of the first century. 
every one of us must live life in our culture, but we do not have to be shaped by our culture. Peter is telling the people of the first century, you're aliens and strangers in the land you live. You are aliens because no matter what your ethnicity is, it doesn't really match where you're living. Most people know, I'm not from around here. I'm sort of an alien, sort of a stranger. When I first moved here, you knew it just when they opened my mouth. Okay, because I sound a lot like New Jersey when I used to talk. People would actually, there's actually people in this room. They used to have, they used to spell words for me to say them. Because I worked with some people in a Christian bookstore. And they used to harass me constantly about words I would say. I won't mention any names. But there are some in here. When I first moved here, people made fun of the way I talk all the time. People probably still do. I just don't know about it as much. But the, the point is, sometimes you're identifiable, that you're an alien and stranger. Well, they were identifiable as aliens and strangers, but not because of their speech, but because of their practices, because of the way they lived their lives, because of what that had happened. And because of that, in that first century, they actually were being marginalized. They were actually not getting jobs. They were being pushed aside socially. There was all kinds of things that were happening. And that's why they, Paul, Peter is writing this to them as aliens and strangers. He's talking to them also about their citizenship being in heaven. We may be outcasts in society because of our allegiance to Jesus, but that's okay because this is a temporary residence. And it goes on. Peter continues to write in verse 2. He says, God the Father knew you and chose you long ago, and his spirit has made you holy. As a result, you have obeyed him and have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. May God give you more and more grace In verse 2, Peter continues to drive this point home that we have been chosen by God. He tells the people then and us now, God knew you and he chose you. We, We sang it in a song today. Before I was in my mother's womb, he knew me. The message is that of Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5. It's the same for us as it was for them and for Jeremiah, except the change to the last bit of the line. Jeremiah 1, 5 says, I knew you before I formed you in your mother's womb. Before you were born, I set you apart and appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Now, we're not all appointed to be prophets to nations, but I can tell you this without any question in my mind. That God knew you when you were in your mother's womb. God, God set you apart. You may not know that. But he loved you. And he knew you. At that moment in time. And you're special to him. And he wants you to know it. That there's nothing he won't do for you. In order for you to understand his love. We've all been appointed to something. We've been appointed to something. It may be different, but, but we are all known by God and appointed to accomplish something with our lives. He has set us apart for something specific. And you know what? He pursues us and he chooses us. Look, look, without God pursuing us, without God choosing us, we can't serve him. 
without the Holy Spirit pursuing us, convicting us of our sin, helping us believe in who Jesus is, we wouldn't be a follower of Jesus. Everything we have as a follower of Jesus is because God has chosen us. We didn't choose him first. He chose us. Paul wrote to the Romans in Romans 5.8, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Only because of God's pursuit of us do we know him. Peter wrote, as a result, you have obeyed him and have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. As a result of God's pursuit of us, as a result of his coming after us. Look, look, I know, I know the story. You, you can figure this one out. See, when you go through these moments, for those of you who, who, who are married, have been married, whatever, you know how this works. See, pursuit is a powerful thing. See, when you see and you spot and you change, I, I have watched this in, in my life as a youth pastor and all this. You watch teenagers, their lives will change and flip upside down when they like someone. But that was true for all of us. We will reorient the way we walk or drive to locations in order to drive past someone's home or walk by their classroom. We understand pursuits, but God pursues much harder than that. He puts much more effort into the pursuit. He is pursuing people, and we can't even understand the pursuit with which he pursues us. With the love and the grace that he comes after us and how much he cares for us, we we have a hard time kind of putting that into words because we don't understand it completely. God pursues us because he loves us with a perfect love, with a, with a love that's unconditional. It doesn't matter whether we follow him. He's going to love us. See, the deal was he loved us enough that he sent Jesus to die. And so he starts there. His pursuit of us starts with his love for us. And the only way we get to follow him, the only way we know him, is because of his choosing us. And we're not forced to follow That's part of God's love. God's love says, I'm not going to force you to follow me. You you get to follow me on your own. If you want to follow me, you can follow me. But I'm not going to make you follow me. That's God's plan. That's his heart. That's his love. He's not going to make anybody follow. That's why we can watch people make decisions that we love. We love them. And they make decisions that are detrimental to their lives. And we can't do anything about it. And we want God to stop them, but he won't because he gives them the freedom to choose because of his love. But but, but because of his love, he's pursued them from the day they breathe their first till the day they breathe their last. God is going to pursue every single individual and he's not going to let up. He will not relent because God is not willing that any would perish, but all would come to repentance because that's God's heart. God loves us that much, but he doesn't force anyone to follow. But God chooses to pursue everyone, even when his love is not reciprocated. Peter ends with sort of a normal greeting here. He kind of finishes this up with, you know, a normal kind of finish. But there's so much more contained in those words. 
Peter recognizes what the people of Pontus, Galatia, Bithynia, Asia, and Cappadocia are going to need to navigate their future. It isn't more money. It isn't more influential positions in the government. It isn't more education. It isn't more freedom. He asks God to give them the very thing they're going to need in order to navigate their lives. In fact, if we get more money, if we have more influential positions, if we have more education, if we have all the things that we want, in, we taught about in those places, in increasing measure, you know what the truth is? We need exactly what Peter is asking for still. It doesn't matter where we find ourselves. We need what Peter is asking for, for the churches there, for the people there. It doesn't matter what stage of life we're in. Wherever we find ourselves, we need more of these things. And Peter asks, may God give you more and more grace and peace. The word grace is found throughout the book of 1 Peter. It's found in every chapter. And God's grace is his generous favor to undeserving people like us, sinners and needy saints. He, he, he's willing to give to us, to bless us, to give his grace to us, even though we don't deserve it. We actually are going to depend on God's grace to endure suffering and turn trials into triumphs. It's God's grace that saves us. It's God's grace that gives us strength in times of trial. It's God's grace that enables us to serve God in spite of difficulties. It's God's grace that enables us to serve Him when things are good. It's God's grace that enables us to be humble, gentle, kind, in the midst of moments we don't want to be. It's God's grace that we need in the midst of those places. See, it's God's grace that gives us everything in this life. And Peter's saying, may God give you more and more grace and peace. And peace is what's going to sustain us. It, it's going to help us in those difficulties. You see, peace is one of those things that we, we think about and we, we recognize that we want peace. See, everybody in America wants peace, right? We want peace in our world. That's not what we're talking about. It's not peace, the absence of conflict. It's peace, the confidence that God is there. It's peace, the confidence that he's going to sustain us through whatever we're in the middle of. It's peace. Everything is going to be okay. It's peace. It says, for me to live as Christ, to die as gain, as Paul did. It's for us to recognize like Janet does. One of the great quotes there is, a year ago I was told I had four months to live. That's a, that's a great quote. Because there's power in that one. It's God's grace that enables us to walk through those moments. It's his peace that lets us know that we're going to be fine. It's his peace that understands and helps us understand that everything is going to be okay. It's peace that brings hope to us. And, and, and the, for the Christian, it has nothing to do with I hope so. 
It has everything to do confidence and assurance that things are going to be great. Look, Paul's perspective here really matters. Paul's perspective where he said, for me to live as Christ, to die is gain. That really does matter. It's not difficult to follow Peter's train of thought here. Everything begins with salvation. Our personal relationship to God through Jesus Christ. If we know Christ as Savior, there is hope. If we have hope, then we can walk through difficulty. We can walk through good times. There should be no problem with submitting to the society around us because we have hope. And, and you're going to have to understand and go on this journey with us as we go through First Peter to see how this plays out in all kinds of situations, in family dynamics, in, in, in societal dynamics, and all those things. It's all laid out in the book of First Peter. And that's why I think it's so important for us to look at it. How do we live life as a follower of Christ and serve him through the noise of the culture in which we live? How do we hear the voice of the Holy Spirit through the noise that's around us? First things first today. If you're here this morning and you realize you need to surrender to God. He is the God who's been pursuing you. He really wants you to follow him. Today's a great day to do that. If you want to begin a relationship with Jesus... This morning, it's a simple yet life-changing prayer, a commitment between you and Jesus that you want to follow him. You don't have to come forward and pray with anybody. But when the prayer teams are here, you can. Because there's something powerful about coming and just telling somebody what you're doing. Something powerful about communicating that you know I've decided to follow Jesus. Look, if you want a free Starbucks and tell me that, I'll take you to Starbucks just to hear it. I'd love to hear your story. In fact, I want you to tell me before you leave here today that you are a follower of Jesus, that you've made a decision to follow Christ. Because why? Because I have a book I want to put in your hand. I just want to give you something that would help you on that journey of following Jesus. If somebody invited you, Tell them you're making a decision to follow Jesus. If somebody's sitting around, you don't know them, tell them. It'll be fine. But God chose you. And you're deciding to follow him. You're just responding to his pursuit of you. And that would be the greatest decision you could make today. For everybody in the room, every one of us, this is my prayer this morning. It's the same as Peter's prayer. That you'll have more grace and peace for the journey that is ahead of you. I don't know what your journey is going to look like. I don't know what the diagnosis might be. I don't know what people are going to tell you. What I'm asking for is more grace and peace in the journey. Because he is able to give it. He's able to meet you in the, in the lowest of lows. He's able to meet you in the highest of highs. He is the God who is able. And really, it's who we need to give us more grace and peace. 
Can you imagine Christians in the first century filled with grace and peace as they went to their death? Peter writes this letter. Not five years later, he's dead. Crucified upside down for following Jesus. He's writing and praying for the people of the provinces of Asia in modern day Turkey to have more grace and peace. But it was a prayer for himself as well because he was going to need it for the journey ahead. Never forget, God chose you and will he will empower you and equip you for the days ahead, no matter what they may bring. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank you, God, for what you're doing in our lives. And Lord, I'm trusting that this morning you are speaking to the lives that need to follow you. Lord, my prayer is there be people this morning that make decisions to follow Jesus. Lord, maybe some that have kind of wandered from the faith and need to come back and others that are hearing it possibly for the very first time in their lives. Lord, would you just help them understand how much you love them, how much you care. And Lord, if they need some place to find love they've never experienced any other place, Lord, may it be the church as Janet communicated her experience. Lord, may that be true of every person that walks through the doors of this building and any one of our campuses. God, would every person experience the love of Jesus when they walk through our doors. And Lord, may they experience your love. May they experience your forgiveness. May they experience your grace. Lord, speak into hearts today and give them confidence and faith to trust you with their lives. And Lord, this morning I pray for every follow Jesus in the room. Lord, would you give every one of us more grace and peace. Grace and peace for the good times, grace and peace for the tough times. Lord, may your measure of grace and peace meet us in the moment that we need it, because that's who you are. True of you 2,000 years ago. It's still true today. You're the God who meets needs in the way they need, need met. Lord, meet those needs today, I pray. In Jesus' name.